It's good to be here this morning. It's always good to um, have the opportunity to speak uh, to the church and to God's people and thankful for Clay and Andrea um, for the atmosphere of learning that they support here at the church and um, the commitment, their commitment to the people. And, um, you know, Wednesday night, we started Wednesday night classes back um, this past Wednesday night. And um, it, there was something in the teaching that became so clear to me that, that from Clay's teaching that I had never really been that clear to me before. I mean, it's right there in God's Word, and it should have been so clear all this time. But as he was speaking, um, and it just kind of rolled out of him, just like it was it was a, a knowledge that he had had his whole life, you know. But um, isn't that something, how God can just re- reveal things to us in a moment that you've been waiting for forever, you know, and it's just, um, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the way that God moves in our lives. Thankful for the way that he speaks to us and speaks to our hearts and lets us know that we're his. Let's us know that we're connected to him and that we have a relationship with him undoubtedly, unmistakably. But I'm thankful for that. And um, This message this morning, God's been dealing with me for about a year. Um, I'm kind of slow getting things, so God has to give them to me over a long, long haul before I, before I really grasp it. But um, um, it kind of started off about a year ago. Um, God, I'd read something on blind spots and Blind spots, if you, you can just use your imagination. I never really heard the term before, but it's things in our life that we can't see that everybody else can see that's so obvious. And, um, and I thought, I even asked my wife, I said, I said you know, I've got to have some blind spots. I, I wish I could, somebody would be honest with me enough to tell me what those blind spots are. I even called Rick Clendenin. He's passed away now. But I called Rick and I said, Rick, you know, I know you see blind spots in my life because he was a spiritual father to me, a mentor to me. And I said, I know that you see some blind spots in my life. And, and you know, Rick, how he is. He's, um, he, of course, he said, well, yeah, I'll tell you one, Alan. <laughs> but it was something positive instead of something negative. You know, I wanted to hear the negative stuff. I wanted to hear the something that would, that, that would just really just tear me up. You know, I wanted to know so that I could grow, but he wouldn't give me anything negative. He'd just give me something positive. But, but, um, but I want to share it with you today, this message. And um, I, I got to think about the attributes of Christ and his love and his, his um, kindness and his unconditional forgiveness and how patient he is with us. And, and I got to thinking, Jesus connected. He connected. Jesus no way could have done the ministry or had the ministry that he had without he connected to people. And he connected to the 4,000. He connected to the 5,000. And remember the 70 that followed with him. He connected with the 12. He connected with his disciples. He connected, he connected with people. And because of that connection that he had with people in their lives, he had influence in their lives. One reason he made connection was because he was a good listener. And throughout Scripture, Jesus taught us to listen to the problems People's problems as well as their victories. You know, many times we read in the scripture it says, "He that has ears to hear, let him hear." And I thought sometimes I have to ask myself. Maybe one of my blind spots is I'm listening with my ears only and not with my heart. You know, I want to listen to people. If someone talks to me. I want to hear what they're saying because can I really hear what they're saying? You know, because I don't connect with everybody because everybody didn't come from where I came from. 
But if I listen really, really closely, the Holy Spirit will help me to hear what they're trying to say without them really having to say it. Jesus connected because he was a good listener. And he always approached the people to meet their needs before he asked them to follow him. People are searching for a purpose. And until they find Christ, they will only continue searching. We can help others find that purpose by helping them find Christ. You know, someone may ask, well, how can I help someone find their purpose when I really don't even know my own purpose? And it's like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, maybe that is your purpose, to help others find their purpose. Because if we can help them find Christ, we've helped them find their purpose. They're on the road. We have a message that is bigger than us. And so many times because of our insecurities, because of our lack of self-confidence in who we are in Christ, we're hesitant to share what God has given us, that message that He's given us. But that's what Jesus did in John 10, 10. He said, I have come that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I have come that they might have life comma, and that they might have life more abundantly. We just have to decide whether we're going to live on the front side of the comma or the back side of the comma. If we look at Jesus in the beginning of his ministry, even the selection of his disciples, the disciples weren't looking for something to do. They were already doing something. He said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. I'm going to take you to a whole new level of touching people, of speaking to people, to influencing people. Jesus influenced more than any man who's ever lived. Any man that's ever lived. Socrates taught for 40 years. Plato taught for 40 years. Aristotle taught for 30 years. A combined total of 120 years. They were all great philosophers. They taught for a total of 120 years, but Jesus only taught for three. Only three years. And he has affected more people around this globe than any other man that's ever walked this earth. He connected with people, he was a communicator, he was an influencer. But the words that Jesus have been, have been taught and passed. More than all the philosophers combined. You think about artists. You know, we were privileged a few years ago to go and see the Sistine Chapel. And that's the most beautiful place I think I've ever been. That's man-made. The artistry in that place. And you know, all those artists that painted, all those works were inspired by Jesus. The musicians and the poets... They were inspired by Jesus. We were in the garden, the tomb, the the garden tomb in Israel, and um, I kind of held it together. And it's one of those emotional things when you go to Jerusalem and you go to see all these places that Jesus has been and the places where he spoke. And I held it together pretty good until I got to the garden. 
And they have you kind of separated where you could go to have your own little service and, and different. So you're in privacy. There's bushes and trees all between you. You can't see anyone else on the other side of the wall. But I heard from the other side of the wall a group of Japanese. They were singing, How Great Thou Art in their language. And that just hit me. I thought, God, you have reached the entire world. This globe. Now there's some unreached places, Donald, that haven't heard this good news or this gospel. There's some places that have not heard it. But you know, even as we speak right now, Donald, there's a, a group of people that I know that are going deeper into the Amazon. They're going right on up that river. They're reaching people who's not even on the 7.5 billion people of the global count. They don't know they're there. They don't know how many of them are there. But God knows they're there. And He's sending the gospel their way. People were transformed as they heard Him speak. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it's a familiar scripture. He said, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? And I wanted to read it to you out of the message version of the Bible. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work. And walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embrace what God does for you in the best thing that you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out to readily recognize what He wants from you. And quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. God is asking us not to adjust to this culture. There's one of my favorite songs, and it says, Oh, I'm just a, a stranger, and I'm just traveling through. You know, we're just passing through. We're just pilgrims here. This isn't our home. We have a home over in glory. We can't, we can't become fixed to the culture here. Instead, we need to fix our attention on Him. If we want to connect with people like Jesus connected with people in order to influence them and help them find their purpose in Christ, we can't allow the culture we live in to cause us to conform to it. We'll have to continually allow the Holy Spirit to transform us to His kingdom culture. We live in a culture of division where we're expected to pick a side. You have been there? I've been there. Someone expects you to pick a side and instead I believe we should focus more on what we have in common if we want to connect with people. Jesus connected with people. You know, we as humans, we all have 99.5% the same 
identical genetics. But we have in-groups and we have out-groups. And I was only just recently introduced to those thoughts, in-groups and out-groups, and it's us and them. and It's self-explanatory. People want to be part of a group. And it's, it's not bad. In-group is not bad. And we as Christians just can't forget about our obligation to the out-group. What God expects from us. People of the same in-group they're, they're the same profession. They're the same color. They're the same faith. They're the same financial status. Maybe you have kids or maybe you don't have kids. That's an in-group. You're in that group. You know, I remember when we was kids um, real early in elementary school, and one year we'd moved to Indiana. And um, one year in the summer, they tore our school down. It was an old dilapidated school, and it about seen its better days. And they tore the old school down. And the next year when school started, they hadn't completed the new one. So they had to integrate us. They had to integrate us into the other elementary schools in the city. And we got a school that was called Crestdale. And it was where all the doctors and the lawyers and the judges, all their kids went to that school. Well, we was from over in a little neighborhood that was on the bad side of town. And um, we knew what powdered milk tasted like. We even knew what chocolate powdered milk tasted like. We knew what them flaky potatoes, I can't remember what they're called, but they're flaky potatoes, and you put water in them or milk in them. They, and if you've had real potatoes, the flaky potatoes just don't get it. And we heard some things that some kids didn't ever hear of. And we've seen some things that some of the kids in Crestdale had never seen. We've been exposed to some stuff. So whenever they clashed us together, we was the out group, and they was the in group. We tried to connect. They tried to, they just didn't, we just couldn't connect. We didn't know how to connect. Can I tell you this morning, Jesus gives us the plan of connection. We can connect. We can connect on common ground. That's where we connect at. In-group bias. I want to talk just for a minute about this. And we, we tend to favor these people in our in-group. We're comfortable in our... How many is comfortable in their in-group? You know, I'll admit, I am comfortable in my in-group. We spend time with our in-group. We're patient with our in-group. We're quicker to give the benefit of a doubt with those in our in-group. We're almost always give more grace to those in our in-group. We assume we will automatically get along with these people in our in-group. We communicate easier with these people. We automatically have more positive assumptions about the people in our in-group. We're quicker to go out of our way for our in-group. But out-group prejudices. I'm talking about blind spots here, some. We have some out-group prejudices that they're blind spots to us. We don't really mean to do it. We don't really want to do it. We just automatically do it because we're human. We're less comfortable around those people. We spend less time with these people socially. We're less patient with those people. We're slower to give the benefit of a doubt. We express less grace. It's harder to communicate with them. 
We assume we will not find things in common with them. We're less willing to go out of our way. And we possess less positive assumptions about those people in the outgroup. But Jesus connected with people. In his in-group, he connected people within his out-group because he valued people. And if we're going to connect with people, we'll have to consciously and intentionally make an effort to do what Jesus did. We'll have to consciously and intentionally value all people. So I'm going to give you some things that Jesus did that, that I myself personally don't always do. There's five things that he did. Jesus saw things that others did not see. And he saw things before others could see it. Any of you husbands ever, your wife ever tell you, did you see that that, um, that light bulb is out on the... And you kind of, you kind of you don't want to lie. You know you've seen it there, but you hadn't really done anything about it. And my wife told me a while back, she said, Alan, have you noticed that our mailbox is hanging on one screw? And I said, well, it had been like that for two years. So I couldn't really say, no, I had not seen that. So I just took the hint and went and got a new mailbox post, and I fixed the mailbox. But you know, Jesus saw things before other people seen them. And he moved on the things that he seen needed to be moved on. He told his disciples one day, he said, as you look around you right now, wouldn't you say it's about four months until harvest time? I think if we look around us, if you and I will look around us, we can see that it's harvest time. Jesus saw people differently than we see people. He saw them for what they could be. He saw them in their potential. He seen Zacchaeus, and he saw Zacchaeus in his potential. But the people of the village there, they saw him as a crook. They didn't think Zacchaeus whatever was going to, ever was going to change. That's just old Zacchaeus. He's a crook. But Jesus seen him for the potential that was in Zacchaeus. What about the woman at the well? That Samaritan woman. The Jews didn't even associate with the Samaritans. And Jesus meets this woman at the well. We don't even know her name. But Jesus seen her in her potential. The lepers, the cripple, the blind, the mute, the demon possessed. But Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. That's who I come after. There's a little book here that I've taken. I've had it for probably 15 years. And um, I write things down in it when I find them. And so I can keep holding. You know, if you, if you put everything in one place that you want to keep track of, maybe you can you know, put your fingers on it when you get ready to um, look for it. And I, I've heard this little story, and I wanted to share it with you. Um, called the man in the pit it said a man fell in a pit and he couldn't get himself out a subjective person came by and said I feel for you down there an objective person came by and said it's logical that someone would fall in that pit 
a Christian scientist came along and said, you only think you're in a pit. A Pharisee came along and he said, only bad people fall in the pit. A news reporter came along and he wanted an exclusive story on how the man fell into the pit. A fundamentalist said, you deserve your pit. A Wesleyan said, you were saved and you still fell in the pit. A charismatic came by and said, just confess that you're not in the pit. A realist came along and he said, wow, that's a pit. <laughs> An IRS agent asked if he was paying taxes on the pit. A county inspector asked if he had a special permit to dig the pit. An evasive person came along and avoided the subject of the pit altogether. A self-pitying person came along and he said, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. An optimist said, things could be worse. And a pessimist said, things will get worse. And Jesus came along, and he seen the man down in the pit. He reached out his hand, and he lifted the man up out of the pit. He saw things that other people didn't see. And he wants us to see things that other people don't see. If we're going to make a difference in this world, if we're going to connect with people in the way that they can see the kingdom of God, we're going to have to reach down and lift people up out of their pit. If we're going to connect with people like Jesus connected with people, we're going to have to see people the way that Jesus saw people in their potential and in their purpose. Jesus said things that others did not say. His message compelled people. He attracted those who were seeking the truth. He repelled those who wanted to build their own kingdom. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. He said, whosoever drinks of this water that I give, you'll never thirst again. He said, I have come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I am the bread of life. People had never heard nobody say things like that before. Jesus said things that nobody else said. And every one of us have a testimony. Every one of us have a testimony that God has given us. The difference that he's made in our lives. And sometimes that's the easiest story to tell. Because it's our story. It's our testimony. We can say things that no one else is saying. Jesus attracted the crowds because of what he said. People are searching for purpose, and people are searching for the truth. And if we're going to connect with people like Jesus connected with people, we have to learn to say words that bring people into the kingdom and not keep them out of the kingdom. Jesus believed things that others did not believe. How did he believe things that others didn't believe? Because he was full of faith. Jesus was full of faith. In John 8, Jesus said, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. Do you know where you came from this morning? Do you know where you're going this morning? 
We're just travelers here. We're just pilgrims here. But you know, I heard a man say one time, he said, you're not taking nothing to heaven with you. The only thing you'll ever take to heaven with you are people. And isn't that the truth? That's the only thing we're going to take to heaven with us is people. Jesus saw those fishermen there at the Sea of Galilee. He believed they could become leaders that could, in the process of time, learn to connect with people. He believed they could help people find their purpose. He believed they could help. He believed they could become people of influence. He believed Lazarus could be raised from the dead. Jesus believed things that others did not believe. He believed that Samaritan woman had value. She was a snubbed gender. She was a despised race. Jesus initiated that contact. And he established common ground. Do you remember what the common ground that he established was with the woman there at the well? It's water. It was that simple. It's that simple for us to find common ground to establish with people if we want to connect with people. It was just water. Through Jesus' personal connection that day, an entire city was reached. An entire city. He believed things that others could not believe. He believed people deserved a second chance. You don't have to think like the world thinks. You don't have to believe like the world believes. Jesus believed the 5,000 could be fed. If we're going to connect with people like Jesus connected with people, we'll have to believe like others don't believe. Jesus felt things that others did not feel. He was passionate. He expressed his feelings. He was angry at Satan's temptation. There in the wilderness, he said, away with you, Satan. He was surprised at the centurion's faith. The Bible said he, was, he marveled at the centurion's faith. Jesus had passion. He had feelings, and he expressed those feelings, and he felt things that others did not feel. He was frustrated when his disciples didn't catch on to his teachings. He was disappointed in the weakness of Peter's faith. He was sympathetic with the widow woman who was in a funeral procession to bury her only son. A widow woman. And she had one son and she was on her way to bury him. Jesus had compassion and he raised her son from the dead that day. He shed tears over the coming destruction of Jerusalem. He had unspeakable joy when Peter identified him as the Messiah. Jesus was passionate. We have a broken world. And you can't touch a broken world unless you have a broken heart. And it has to happen on the inside before it shows up on the outside. In 2004, uh, me and Debbie had owned, opened up a car dealership in, in London in, in 2002. And in 2004, we've been praying. The Lord had been blessing us. And, and we talked and we said, you know, we all need to pray for, for God to show us someone that we can sow back into their ministry to help them some way or another. And about two years later, a friend of mine called me and he said, I've been to Promise Keepers and I met this guy and at Promise Keepers and I'd like for me to, you to bring him, let me bring him by and let him, you meet him. So at first I was reluctant because I was busy and I, I finally conceded and I said, go ahead and bring him by for a few minutes. Well, he walked in, he's a big guy, his name was Brother Bukenya, Joel Bukenya, and he came in the showroom there and he's a big black African guy. 
And he came in and he started telling me his testimony. And we've been praying, remember, for God to bring somebody into our lives that we could, that we could sow into their ministry. And he sat there and he told me his testimony, how he was con- converted from strange religions. And he told me his testimony, and as he sat there, God spoke to me in my spirit, and he said, this is the man that you asked me about. So on his way out the door, he said, he said, you must come to Africa. I had never been to Africa, Donald, and I don't know if we'd even been out of the country. But I told him that day, I said, I'll come. So I'd been teaching, you know, Bible for years, and, and I went and we started doing little leadership conferences and pastors' conferences and training leaders in the, in the villages and things like that, and one thing led to another. And, you know, we never know. We could perceive what God wants to do in our lives. We can feel, see, Jesus felt things that others didn't feel. Now, I'm not giving myself any credit here because normally I miss it. But because I'd been praying and God spoke to me in almost an audible voice that day, I heard. And almost 10 years later, our second son, Aaron, came and he said, Dad, I want to adopt and I want to adopt from from Africa. See, we never know what God is on His way to do in our lives and the blessings that He wants to give us through our act of obedience for the things that He puts in our heart that He wants us to feel. we got to feel things that others don't feel. And I didn't know A.J. was going to be in here, but A.J., would you come up here one second? Ah, just for a second. Come on. This is our A.J. This right here is of, of, of God's proof of... He's give us... You can go sit down by your mom and dad. Go ahead. Thank you. He's to give us AJ and he's to give us some five more beautiful grandchildren God's blessed us with so tremendously. But that's one that I wonder sometimes if it had ever happened. If God hadn't been good enough and patient enough, kind enough with us in our hearts. We even have another one on the way. I so said we have we have seven total. That's in, in existence. But all I had to go on that day was feeling. If you're going to connect with people like Jesus connected with people, you'll have to connect with people where they are. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Jesus did things that others did not do. He was fruitful. And His fruitfulness was a result of His commitment to connecting with people. In John 14, 12 through 14, he said, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me and the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do, because I go to my Father, and whosoever and whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. And I also wanted to share the, the message version on that when he says believe me I'm in the father and my father is in me 
If you can't believe that, believe what you see, these works. The person who trusts me will not only do what I'm doing, but he's going to do greater things. Because I, on my way to the Father, am giving you the same work to do that I've been doing. If we're going to do the same work that Jesus had been doing and he's given to us, then we're going to have to connect like he connected. We're going to have to look beyond. You can count on it. From now on, whatever you request along the lines of who I am and what I am doing, I'll do it. That's how the Father will be seen for who he is in the Son. I mean it. Whatever you request in this way, I'll do. Do we trust that he will do what he has said he'll do in our lives? And in the lives of others? I believe we're living beneath our means and privileges as Christians. How are we going to reach out to others? God is going to open doors of opportunity. We must perceive those opportunities. We've got to see it. We must take some, make some preparations for those opportunities. We've got to be ready for it. Make some preparations. Spend some time in prayer. Spend some time in His Word. We've got to prepare for it. We've got to be ready for it. Even those opportunities to come, we can expect them. I have found that opportunities are kind of like gifts. All you have to do is realize it and receive it. Isn't that how a gift is? It's a gift. It's given. And it's given from God. Opportunities to connect with people are just that. It's a gift. This world is a broken world. And if we want to be part of what Jesus is doing in the day that we're living in, like Jesus, we're going to have to see things that other people don't see. We might have to say some things that other people don't necessarily say. We're going to have to believe some things that other people don't believe. And sometimes we're going to feel some things that other people don't feel. And we're going to have to do some things that others just are not going to do. There's four main keys to connecting with people. I'm about to close. If you want to connect like Jesus did. we got to value people. First and foremost, we just got to value people. I don't care who they are, where they come from, what their occupation is, what they've been through, what they've done. i got to value people. And i got to say, make myself more valuable. How do I make myself more valuable? I prepare for the opportunity that God's going to give me to make a difference in someone's life. I prepare for that moment. We have to know and relate to what they value. How do you connect with someone? Find out what they value. Find out what their interests are. Do they value their family, their grandchildren, their children? What do they, what do they value? Do the things that God values. All I want to know all I want to know, God, what do you value? And I want to do that. Maybe there's someone here this morning that don't know Jesus. 
Jesus wants to connect with you. That's what he does. He came to give you life more abundant. His invitation to you this morning is, Come unto me, who all you who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Isn't that an awesome invitation? I mean, just, just come unto me. I'll give you rest. He sees you right where you are. He values you right where you are. And he wants to give you a life of purpose. If we could pray. Father, I thank you for this day and your love and goodness. I thank you for all your mercies and for your grace. I thank you, Lord, for your patience with us. And I thank you, Lord, that you keep working with us in a way that you want us to find our purpose because that purpose is in you. And until we find our purpose in you, we're going to continue searching. I just ask you this morning, Father, to bless each one here this morning. Help us to hear what your Spirit would say unto us as we go through our day. Help us to see things, Father, that other people don't see. Help us to say things that other people are just not going to say. And help us to believe, Father, in things that other people don't necessarily believe. Help us to do things, Father, that other people don't do. Help us to make a a difference in the lives of others that we come into contact with on a day-to-day basis. Give us influence and help us to use that influence for your kingdom. We're not taking anything with us, Father. Only people. Help us to take as many, Father. Help us to take as many, Father, as we can gather together in our lifetime. Whether it be here or abroad, it doesn't matter where it's at, Father. We just want to take people because you value people. Help us to value people and love people, Father, like you love them, like you value them. You valued him so much that you gave your only begotten son. What greater price could have been?